like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Do you know of a song that no matter how often you sing it, it always has power for you and takes your breath away while making your heart soar? Well, that's what Rod McDonald's song, A Sailor's Prayer, is like for me. It's in the Rise Up Singing songbook, and I've known it for years, but I just recently got around to looking up his other songs on YouTube and then tracking down this awesome singer-songwriter in Southern Florida. Thank God I did. Rod McDonald joins me now by phone from Delray Beach, Florida. Rod, I'm really excited to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Hi, Mark. Good to talk with you. Joe Jenks is the reason I finally came your direction. I've known your song, A Sailor's Prayer, for a long, long time, but I hadn't got around to tracking you down until Joe, and I interviewed him a few months ago, he said, you know, you got to get a hold of me. He actually included one of your songs that he performed in Song of the Soul. So you come highly recommended. Joe and I go back a long ways. I think I've known him since he was about 15. <laughs> well, when did you actually start doing your performance stuff? A little later than that, actually. I started playing in my early 20s in New York City a bit. And then I did some just kind of bumming around the country and sang in the Bank of America doorway in San Francisco for a while. Do you get good tips there? Is it good for busking? I can't say I got rich, but I had an interesting experience doing it. Made some money, and uh, I, I had a friend that I was visiting, and I just I wanted to sing, and so I was going around at night to open mics, and during the afternoon, I would go down to Chinatown and sing in the doorway. To some degree, it sounds kind of strange to me that you'd be performing in a bank doorway. I think that your message would not be considered pro-bank. Well, it was just a, it was closed at the time. You know, it was just a doorway. <laughs> it, it was just a, a good space to be heard, you know, with people walking by. Have you always been pretty much of, uh, I don't know, a crusader, a social activist? A lot of your songs have wonderful themes that way. I think I've always been kind of politically, socially interested in what's going on, yeah. Maybe more socially than politically. I, I don't necessarily think of politics as what it's about so much as a kind of journalism almost, kind of like emotional journalism or something, or have the opportunity to explore the themes and ideas that I want to explore. Speaking of journalism, there were periods where you worked as a reporter, right? I did, yes. Almost exclusively before I was singing professionally. I worked for the Hartford Current in Connecticut briefly. I was an, uh, an editor of my college newspaper, and then I was a bureau correspondent for Newsweek magazine for a couple summers during my last couple of years of school. And among your other trades along the way, 
I guess you got a law degree, I think from Columbia, and then you worked with the, what is it, the Judge Advocates General Corps for U.S. Navy before a couple years later you got a CO, a conscientious objection, and got out of that. Was that a major change to your path? Was Did something go on in the interim there? It was kind of a continuous process. I got into the JAG Corps when I went to law school. It was not afterwards, but during it. During the summers of the first couple of years, I worked for Newsweek, and one of the summers was in Washington, D.C., and I covered the Nixon administration for Newsweek. I, I covered the Justice Department. I actually covered the Pentagon Papers trial for Newsweek because the regular guy was on holiday and uh, summer vacation, and I was his sub. And then I took some time off, and I traveled around the country, and when I got back to Columbia for my last year of law school, or my second, what would have been my second year of law school, I was very troubled by being in the JAG Corps. I think that somewhere in the process, the process of singing music, I started singing while I was in school too, and all of it, it just made me want to, it made me feel like a hypocrite to be in the military. With the help of a draft counseling lawyer that I met during this time, I filed to be discharged as a conscientious objector. And that took about a year. During that year, they called me up to Newport and sent me to officer's training school. And actually, while I was in Newport was when I did my first consistent professional singing. I got hired at a little pub down on the waterfront, and I spent about 10 weeks singing every night for the tourists and the local people while going to officer's training school during the day. At the end of the training school, they gave me a discharge. They discharged me as a conscientious objector. And I went back to New York City and began to play clubs in earnest, went around to all the clubs in New York and started auditioning and getting you know, hired here and there. Well, you know, I asked you, Rod, to pick out the songs of your soul. And, of course, that means something different to every person. What did you pick out? What do you want to start out with? Probably one of the first songs that always comes to mind for me is a song called American Jerusalem. I wrote it specifically at the time when I... I had been hitchhiking around the United States for about three or four years after getting out of school. I'd lived in New York a couple times, but I'd been wandering around also. And then at a certain point, I actually got an apartment in Greenwich Village with my name on the lease. And I think American Jerusalem made me aware that I was now living in New York City and that and what all that meant. It was a very complicated thing to me because New York was then and probably still is a very complicated place. You know, a lot of really wonderful, exhilarating things and a lot of things that were very sad and depressing to witness and everything in between. And I now, for the first time, was witnessing them, you know, in a very personal manner with a guitar in my hands writing songs about it. So that's kind of how I wrote the song. It's not about Jerusalem in Israel or anything even related to that. It's simply kind of a statement that I wrote for myself as if to say, okay, you're now where you always dreamed you'd be, you know, in the village with your guitar, and what are you going to do about it? And the song is American Jerusalem by Rod McDonald here today for Song of the Soul. Tunnel was a crack. 
crumbling for repairs again. And the sign said, Welcome to America, Jerusalem. Spend forever looking for a friend in this town, and all you get to do is lay your dollar down till you're stumbling, drunk up the stairs again. And the sign says, Welcome to America, Jerusalem. South African gold. They don't care who was bought or sold, or who died to mine it. In the temples of American Jerusalem, they buy an ounce of Marseille white.
shadows lick the sun The streets are paved with footsteps on the run Well, somebody must have got double Cause I got none Oh, I forgot to collect my share again So go west to Cleansing air again Go Niagara for your honeymoon again Go on the road if you're gone And sing your tune again Go to sea to learn to be a man again Till you come on home to America We've got Rod McDonald as our guest today for Song of the Soul. That was his song, American Jerusalem. I think it was written, certainly uh, first appeared on one of your albums, I think, in 1983. And it was released again, remastered on uh, one of your latest CDs, No Commercial Traffic. Just to correct you a little bit, No Commercial Traffic is the... CD of the original album. It's the same recording. Right. Um, I also re-recorded American Jerusalem for my 2009 CD, After the War, which is a different version of the song with a different band and Tracy Grammer singing harmony with me. Oh, you had Tracy in there, too. I've had her on Song of the Soul a few years ago. Wonderful singer. But you're talking at one point, by the way, gold from South Africa. So it places it in time. It's before the fall of apartheid, I'm assuming, is part of what your reference is. I wrote American Jerusalem in 1978. Yes. But, you know, I suppose I could just say African gold because it's still going on, that whole scene in Africa. I mean, I think it's probably moved to different countries, but it hasn't changed much. When I saw the name American Jerusalem, when I heard you singing about it, I thought it was probably a reference to where our temples are or something like that. I don't know if that makes sense for you or if that was part of your intent. Temples in a religious sense, no, not really. It wasn't my intent. It's more about, I actually think of it as a spiritual inquiry into a secular world. I don't really mean the temples literally to be temples, more like Wall Street banks and things like that. You know, trading operations kind of thing. Yeah, well, that, I figure, is our temple in the United States. You know, the just like they say the business of America's business, I think that that's what most people worship in this country. Well, I think actually the religion of America is money. I don't say that with any great joy. I think that we have elevated money to the status of a national religion. All the other religions are personal, but the one that we all share nationally is a obsession with the economy. If you want to pave a natural wilderness, all you have to do is say it will create jobs and everybody's suddenly in favor of it. It's, I think, very clear that that's the one thing that we actually believe in as a people more than anything else. Yeah, we're dealing with that right here in Wisconsin, where I'm situated. I realize you're down way south in Florida, but in Wisconsin, they're taking down some of our hills to extract the sand, which is used for the frack mines. So when they do hydraulic fracturing, they need sand as part of what they blow down into the earth. And so they're destroying beautiful areas around here 
Well, it's no, it's no different here. Our legislature in Florida just passed a bill to begin preliminary studies of how they can do fracking in the Everglades National Park. Oh, how what insanity! What insanity! You know, so it's it's no different. It's no different here. Yeah, but as you say, they say, "Oh, well, look, we're going to create 50 jobs, 100 jobs, whatever," and then people just line right up and say, "Well, that's good." Don't take into account how many jobs they're going to destroy in the process, too. But anyway, it's it's one of those sad things. And I picked up that theme through American Jerusalem. Again, you said you wrote that in '78. It came out on an '83 album. And some of these are repeated because you have at least a dozen. It's hard to exactly say how many albums you have because some of them are kind of live things that you didn't record or I, you know, I don't know how they all got there. I have 11 studio albums that I've made that are, uh, you know, like real work projects, real studio recordings there. There are some others on my website, rodmcdonald.net, that are what I call archival recordings. Those are just, you know, lower quality recordings of live concerts and things like that that are for fans. And sometimes they contain songs that I've never released on a commercial CD, so that gives people a chance to find that song if they want to. And does that include the three albums by Big Brass Bed? Uh, no, those are separate. Those are not the 11 CDs of my own songs, but those CDs are mostly Bob Dylan songs. There's a couple of my songs on there, but they're mostly Bob Dylan songs. That's what Big Brass Bed is about. But I've seen your song that says that you are Bob Dylan. That's, a, that's on one of my own CDs. <laughs> yeah, but I know, but you're claiming it. I mean, you've got the hair or something, right? Well, it's meant to be funny. Actually, if you listen to the song, it's a story about being mistaken for Bob Dylan from, by people. Well, let's keep going with some more of your music. I want to get as much as we can in during your Song of the Soul. What's next? Actually, before I wrote American Jerusalem, I wrote a song that is probably the most meaningful song in, to me in my life, and that would be a song called White Buffalo. I believe I wrote it in the fall of 1976. Of course, uh, the title comes from the mythology of the Plains Native Americans here, the sacred white buffalo, and that their songs and prayers come from that. But in my case, I think what was so important to me about the song was that I really kind of wrote it almost on instinct, without really trying too hard to write. I wasn't trying to write a song, it just wrote. And I think that was the first time that I ever really just wrote a song that just seemed to arrive whole cloth intact and it was a big factor in learning to trust the process learning to trust my subconscious or whatever it is you know so i'm sure you've heard this from many songwriters that a lot of the songs that we write are kind of floating around out there and we're the ones who grab them and write them down that i think is sometimes really an apt metaphor for how it works uh, white buffalo just kind of appeared to me and i wrote it down and began singing it and it's been a very important song to me ever since white buffalo Rod McDonald. They say you've got to lose before you can win. They say you've got to choose before you can give in. You've got to cut loose to get back again And it's a long way back home They say you've got 
Oh, no. 
want to track down Rod McDonald, you're going to go to his website, rodmcdonald.net. And notice that's .net rather than com or that. I assume, Rod, that there's a whole lot of other people out there with a name like McDonald's. You probably get mistaken for a hamburger king once in a while. Well, first of all, it's my name is spelled M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, not the same as the Hamburger Corporation. And I also own rodmcdonald.com, so I'm not that hard to find. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're down in Delray Beach in Florida. You used to be up around New York, and you started from Connecticut. I think that's where you grew up. This southern migration, is this a winter-related thing, or is there some other gravitation that's pulling you south? My wife and I moved here in the mid-1990s to help look after my parents, who had some medical problems and were getting older. And we have stuck around. My mom is still with us, and we help her. So we stayed, and we have two children in school now, and it's become our home. I don't know if we'll stay here forever, but it's where we live now. Your wife, by the way, is uh, she Swiss, I think? Is she, yes. Does yes, that, her name is Nicole. She's from Switzerland, yes. Nicole. Does that inform much of your view? I don't know when you connected up with her, but I found myself, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Africa, and because I lived for two years in another country, my view of the United States got enlarged a lot, I think. Does it work that way, having your wife from Switzerland? I had spent some time in Europe before we met, and I've spent quite a bit more there since. So yes, I would say that's true. It does give you a kind of perspective, both good and bad. You know, you spend some time in a foreign country and you get a sense of a more objective view, maybe, of what you're looking for in a society. Switzerland is a very progressive society in many ways. It's environmentally much stricter than the United States, a lot more recycling, a lot more care of the natural resources than we have here in America. It's actually very nice being there, a very modern country with a lot of traditions that are really worth hanging on to. Well, let's make our environment a little bit noisier by putting some good music into it. What's next for Song of the Soul, Rod? Well, I suppose one of the more interesting things I've done is a song called A Sailor's Prayer. I wrote Sailor's Prayer in about 1978 or 9, and it's today my most recorded song by other artists. But that's not why I wanted to include it today. I've been told by people who love singing it that I have to remember that it really is a prayer. It's a statement that no matter how bad things get, people are depending on you. You you have to stand up and not give up. I also usually sing it a cappella, and that, I think, has an effect on you when you're singing live, that it allows you to really just kind of focus on the communication of your voice and what you're doing. I like that about it a lot. It's a very special song. It is a very special song. It is A Sailor's Prayer by Rod McDonald. Though my sails be torn and tattered And the mast be turned about Let the night wind chill me to my very soul And though the spray might sting my eyes And the stars no light provide Give me just another morning light to hold And I will not lie me down This rain a-raging I will not lie me down In such a storm And if this night be unblessed 
my rest till I reach another shore. Though the only water left is but salt to wound my thirst, I will drink the rain that falls so steady down. And though night's blindness be my gift, and there be thieves upon my drift, I will praise this fog that shelters me alone. And I will not lie me down, this rain a-raging. I will not lie me down in such a storm. And if this night be unblessed, I shall not take my rest till I reach another shore. Though my mates be drained and weary and believe their hopes are lost, there's no need for their bones on that blackened bottom. And though death waits just off the bow, they shall not answer to him now. He shall stand to face the morning without us. And I will not lie me down this rain a-raging. I will not lie me down in such a storm. And if this night be unblessed, I shall not take my rest till I reach another shore. And if this night be unblessed, I shall not take my rest till I reach another shore. If you didn't know that song before you tuned in today, you've now been vastly enriched. A Sailor's Prayer by Rod McDonald. One of the very first people to ever cover the song was a group from Madison called Free Hot Lunch. Do you remember Free Hot Lunch? They recorded it, uh, I think, in the early 80s. They were among the first people to record the song. Yeah, and I was living in Milwaukee area, so not too far. You know, I got over to Madison periodically in those days, but I didn't happen to run into it. As a matter of fact, the first time, though, that I heard it was connection with Milwaukee Friends Meeting, the Quaker Meeting in Milwaukee, because they have a singing thing in the morning before the meeting for worship. And that's a song that got shared frequently. And I'm part of a monthly song circle, and we sing out a Rise Up singing. So we get to sing this every couple months at least. So it's near and dear to my heart. But Rod is sharing that today for Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. We're on the web at northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you'll find 10 and a half years of our programs for free listening and download. You'll find links. So when you want to get to Rod McDonald, which is rodmcdonald.net, and that's Mac, as in M-A-C, Donald. But again, the link's on northernspiritradio.org. And you can find links to a lot of other guests. Uh, Joel Jenks is the person who first pointed me to 
that maybe I should consider Rod in my lineup here for Song of the Soul. So you can find that also on our site. There's also a place to leave comments, and we do love two-way communication. So when you visit, please post us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. There's also a place to make donations. That's how this is funded. It's not the corporations that are donating. It's not coming from government money. It's because you as listeners support this project. But even more important than supporting Northern Spirit Radio is to support your local community radio stations. Alternative radio is so important in terms of getting news and music out there that the mainline stations just are not funding. So please remember to go and support your local community radio station with your wallet and with your hands. Rod McDonald is here. He's down in southern Florida. Well, we need to get more of your music in. What would you like next? One of the songs that I included is a song from my first uh, Shanakee LP called The Way to Calvary. It's a song about a runaway slave, really, in the time of Jesus. It's implied that he witnesses the crucifixion, but he's a person who would never exist in any history book. He's a runaway slave, of course, and not really... um, He wouldn't be a legitimate historian in any sense of the word. But I think one of my very best songs, and I think one of the reasons why I like it so much is that it has always felt to me ever since I first wrote it, whenever I sing it, as if it's a real person speaking, that this was a real life, and I just was kind of privileged to overhear it in some way. The Way to Calvary. As a galley slave, I was given a name that had nothing to do with my own, and learned to give twice for my bed at night, and again when the morning had come, and there was an old one among us whose eyes seemed fixed on afar, and I remember the stood watching that light from that most brilliant star and then breaking his chains in a frenzy and stealing a sword from a guard he said show me the way to Calvary or I'll kill you right where you are Now I who care nothing for politics But for the meaning of the stars in the sky I said gather that key up and free me And I'll fight by your side till I die We didn't know then that the firstborn Were being slaughtered in Palestine As we murdered our And set into the dark maritime After three days we landed in mountains I said what shall we eat as free men He said show me the way to Calvary And you'll never go hungry that 
first winter in the mountains, huddled like wolves in a cave. As the snow formed its blanket of silence, I swore I'd no more be a slave. Well, he heard all of my boastful speeches by the side of our pitiful fire. But his ears always seemed to be listening to a music he heard somewhere high. And to me, who knew nothing of wise men, who believe in no god you can't see, he said, "Show me the way to Calvary, and no chains will ever." To fend for his own self, except for that promise of mine, and we abandoned our mountain shelter for the long walk to Palestine. Till I came back and found him there dying, and me standing with blankets and wine, and with a grip of iron he held. So close, I could see through his eyes, and he said, "Show me the way to Calvary, and we'll meet again in paradise." It was many years later I stood there. Of my line to survive, and I watched him climb up that mountain. My own eyes barely alive, and they hung him right there in that sunlight, and they wrapped up his body in white, and I felt that old man there beside me. As I cried all the day and the night. Now you, with your young years before you, you must see for these old eyes of mine. Oh, show me the way to Calvary. I've come to the end of the line. That's from Rod McDonald's "Highway to Nowhere." That's back in 1992. He released with the song "The Way to Calvary." A slave back at the time of year zero or 33 or something like that. If you follow the story literally, it more or less starts with the birth of Christ. He witnesses the star in the sky. That's what motivates him, and then he has a long journey that ends 
witnessing the crucifixion and along the way has kind of a transformational experience and uh, motivates him to go there. How do you relate to such religious ideas? I mean, again, you wrote that one quite a while ago. Did you grow up with a religious tradition? What have you done with it since? Well, I actually grew up, I was raised a Catholic in Connecticut, but I pretty much have been, well, as I became an adult, I stopped observing the church altogether. And then I kind of went through a period in which I really didn't believe much of anything. I think White Buffalo, which we heard earlier, was probably the beginning of a turnaround for me. It was kind of an acknowledgement that I was looking for something spiritually. And in fact, White Buffalo, when I started singing White Buffalo, I began attracting people towards me that began to educate me about Native American philosophy and spirituality. And during the 1980s, I went out west a lot and hung out on some Indian reservations. So that's one reason why this song remains so important to me, because it really inspired a whole new direction in my life. So I guess what I've come to kind of believe, I do believe in, you know, a spiritual meaning to our lives, but I don't observe any specific religion. Mm -hmm. Who would you call your community? Besides your wife, I'm I'm assuming your wife and (laughs) kids. That's one of the things when you compare something to like in Switzerland, where families are much more defined, I believe, than here. I've got a number of friends in France, and it's just, community is clearer than it is here. So what's for you? Sometimes in the United States, you know, it might be you're, because you're part of the Elks Club, it might be because you're in a union, it might be because you're in a church, but those are forms of community that serve as substitutes for what we folks had back in Europe. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, I don't really think about it that consciously. So as you're asking, I kind of have to just imagine it. Maybe there are some different communities that kind of overlap in my case. There's, there's certainly a community of musicians and music people, both here in Florida and nationally, and particularly in my personal case in the Northeast, both fans and friends, friends, fans, and fellow performers and musicians that I have worked with from time to time. I would consider all those people a part of my community. I also active locally here in South Florida as a university instructor in a large lifelong learning program. I teach a music history course called Music Americana, and a lot of the people that I interact with locally here are through that. And I'm also, I network with a kind of loose collection of old friends that I hear from sporadically, and we're spread all over the globe, you know, from Italy to Hawaii and uh, Los Angeles and Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, all over the place, Texas, Boston. That network of people kind of are, you know, in touch kind of informally, but I feel that their input and interaction are important to me as as I live my life and do my work. Another way that I sometimes think about community is who's got your back. And I think about that historically with unions. You know, you know that you're going to be standing arm in arm. You may not be the same religion or whatever, but we're part of the union. We're together. Who's got your back? If, if hard times hit your family, who who can you turn to? I have a network of friends. So I would I would just categorize them as friends. They're mostly they're music people primarily, mm-hmm. both fellow performers and people that are tangentially or or participating in some way in music, you know, organizers of music, people like that. My best longtime pal is a guy named Mark Dan, who has been my 
principal bass player since the mid-1970s. He lives in Woodstock, New York, and has co-produced all of my CDs except for one. And he and I play together most of my concerts in the northeastern U.S. and sometimes the rest other places, too. For example, in April, we're doing an 18-concert tour in Europe together. Certainly, I don't need to enumerate them, but I can think of numerous occasions when Mark has come through for me when I've needed, you know, help of some sort. So there's that, and there's kind of an extended family of friends. I don't know. It's just I'm not a member of any specific membership group, I don't think, that, that I would consider that. I'm not a member of any specific labor union. or. Uh, You're not part of the Folk Musicians Labor Union with John McCutcheon and other folks? I'm not, actually. No, I'm not a, I'm not a member of it. I, perhaps I should be, but I'm not. I am a member of some music organizations, including a Florida group called the Friends of Florida Folk, and I'm a member of three different bands here in South Florida that I play with as well as my solo work. I would suspect that in the 1980s, when you were part of the Greenwich Village folk revival movement going on there at that time, that there was probably a real sense of belonging to some kind of entity. I'm not sure how that played out on the ground, but I'm just imagining that, that time, like when I went to college, when there's a sense of belonging, even if the people seem very different, that carries forward for me. How far back does Mark Dan go with you? In the mid-1970s, he was like 17 or 18 years old when we started playing together. I was in my early 20s. He's been playing with me since, actually, I believe it, in December of this year will be 40 years. I think we started playing together in December of 76. That's a lot of notes. Well, you know, in the village, we had an organization called the Fast Folk Music Magazine. That was a big part of a lot of our social and work stuff during the 1980s, particularly. And we would record ourselves and put out magazines for a mailing list of people. And, and that group of people was kind of my peer group at the time. And Mark was a major factor in that as well. That, that group of people did an annual concert at one of the biggest clubs in New York City. And so it's a funny thing when you're in a group like that that's a professional group of performers. There's both a certain amount of competition, naturally, and a certain amount of real togetherness. You know, it's kind of like you may argue with your brother, but don't let anybody else, you know, come at you or the two of you will really stick together. That's kind of how it works. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. We've got time for the last song now, Rod. How do you want to conclude your Song of the Soul? Well, Hole in the Bible is a newer song. It's perhaps a little less spiritual in the internal sense, and more a commentary on what's going on in the world. I'm very troubled by the amount of violence in our society, and particularly by the idea that the only way to counteract it is more violence, more guns, more people walking around, uh, you know, boasting of their weaponry. And I think that we live in a society in which people say that the Bible is our basic document, that our beliefs and our philosophy of how to live come from the Bible, and yet it very explicitly advocates in the Bible that violence is not the way to accomplish anything. It says that very clearly a million times. And yet, whenever there is violence done, the very same people that will tell you, oh, you should read the Bible, will turn around and say, you know, oh, well, it's, it's nothing to be worried about, and even urge that the people who perpetrate that violence not be punished. I just find it mind-bogglingly hypocritical sometimes, and so that's why I wrote the song. You mentioned in, I think, maybe the last verse of the song about Walt Street. 
of course, that's part of the cycle of violence a lot of people in the U.S. don't see, that violence that comes from our unequal distribution of resources, which means that some people live with incredibly horrible situations. Was that the purpose of putting it in there, or did you just, like Wall Street as a, a phrase in the verse, I suppose that I wanted to reference that, but you know, when you're writing a song like that, you're not necessarily consciously thinking of how everyone will take every phrase. You can't. You don't want to even. So where it says the banks on Wall Street overflowed, what I really meant was that, was it in the same way that water would inundate a city we're drowning in violence in America, and, and people are more interested in making profit from it than they are in actually doing anything about it. So we're going to listen to Hole in the Bible in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you, Rod McDonald, being here today for Song of the Soul. I've loved Sailor's Prayer forever, and you've given me so much more material to love that comes out and through you. Folks, again, if you want to get a hold of Rod, you go to rodmcdonald.net. MacDonald is M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. You'll find 11 of his albums, a few by a group called Big Brass Band. He's no longer called the original Rod McDonald Band. He's just Rod McDonald, and most of what comes out of his way is golden. So I encourage you to check it out. Again, Rod, thanks so much for writing such powerful songs, singing them with your beautiful tenor voice, and thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. And uh, you folks listen, I hope I'll see you somewhere down the line. There's an additional song, Every Living Thing, by Rod McDonald, in the bonus excerpts on the northernspiritradio.org website that we just couldn't fit into this broadcast, along with other bits and pieces. We conclude Rod's Song of the Soul with Hole in the Bible. We've had production help with this program by Andrew Jansen, and we'll see you next week for Song of the Soul, Hole in the Bible, by Rod McDonald. Somebody shot a hole in the Bible They blew it apart from the back They must have snuck up behind it To leave it in pieces like that Now whenever you try to read it You have to quit where the words fall apart Somebody shot a hole in the Bible I don't even know where to start Well now when you reach for the good book To tell you how things ought to be You pass the begetting and the killing And the soldiers all drowned in the sea Then you get to the part where it tells you Everything everybody has to do Somebody shot a hole in the Bible Right there you can see right through There he was, minding his own business Thinking there was no one around When out of the cloud came a message Behold, I am standing my ground Who saw why the shots were first fired Who knew why the gun was at hand Somebody shot a hole in the Bible Please don't let it happen again
somebody shot a hole in the Bible Back when you were out on the road Forty days and nights of rain followed Till the banks on Wall Street overflowed When it was time for white doves to come flying And the sun to come shining again Somebody shot a hole in the Bible There's no telling how this will end Somebody shot a hole in the Bible There's no telling how this will end The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy That in the light it will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song